The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his seven sons and his wives and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living creature that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam over the earth, and all of mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out, men and animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Congregation of Jesus Christ, tonight we read a very familiar story, the story of Noah and the ark. You wonder as you read through it to how it all went exactly. It's definitely uh, something that, that is, is very remarkable, something very much beyond 
our common experience, even how it all came together and how it worked itself out. But the deeper question that I want to consider with you in, in our modern world, when people hear about, read a story like this, the basic question that arises, is it really true? Is this account actually something that happened? Was there an ark? Did the things recorded here really happen? Or, or is this a, a story with symbolic purposes? It's a, it's a, a myth, a story that, that has a meaning and significance, but actually it, it didn't happen. It didn't really happen. That's, that's a question that would arise in our modern culture. This, this is, is something that, that is very much questioned. And so, so it might be... Uh, a story where you could, if you lived in Kentucky, you could go to where they're building a theme park of an ark. And they're building the actual size. And you could go there with your kids and they have toy animals and, and that's all very nice. So that's, that's a nice application of Genesis 7, a theme park. But it wouldn't be true. It couldn't be true, would be some of the underlying uh, criticism. And that's, that's what we get in our modern culture. And we, we run up against that basic denial of the truth of the Bible. The Bible in its entirety, the account of Noah included, as completely true, accurate word of God. That's, that's our response. And in this account, we see again the, an aspect of the whole sweep of Scripture, God's punishment against sin, and yet God's saving grace, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so... The story of the whole Bible is, is part of this account. So this account is not foreign or odd or strange in that sense at all. And, and the reality, our confessing its truth, is part of our confessing the whole truth of God revealing himself in his word to this world, to us and through us, to a world that doubts, and doubts especially the Bible the word of God. And that's why in the contemporary testimony, it goes to some length to express that we trust in God's word in this modern world. So in a modern world, we hold up an ancient text and hold it as firm truth authoritative. That was already the confession of the church in the Belgic Confession, we have the three other confessions, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession. And in the Belgic Confession, it actually goes on for four or five articles speaking about the reality, the truth of the Bible. And the contemporary testimony picks up on that because it's even more necessary in our modern culture. We 
as those who hold to the validity of the Bible, we need to defend its truth and we need to continue to see and declare it as the special revelation of God to this world fallen in sin, showing his redeeming work, his saving work, highlighted in Jesus Christ. And that's the heart of the story of Noah as well. So, so that is the confession we want to look at this evening. In, in the contemporary testimony, we did not uh, look at the paragraph, paragraph 31. In paragraph 31, it, it goes more into how we got the Bible. And that's a question that arises when, when people challenge the Bible. And they say, too, what, what, where, where did this thing come from, anyway? And, and Article 31 speaks about God using people, prophets, uh, Moses, people inspiring them by the Spirit to record his word, his will. And we call that organic inspiration. And that's, that's the understanding of God working through actual people to bring his word forth. And, and you can see the character of the people in the different accounts that are in the Bible. For example, in Luke, if you read uh, the Gospels, and if you read uh, uh, Luke in the original Greek, it's very fine, very, very carefully written, very scholarly. And then if you consider John... Uh, very simple Greek, very, very clear still, very nice, but, but a different person, a different personality used by God in a different way uh, to express the truth of his word. And so we would say, well, well, we'll believe what Luke wrote and not John. No, we see God using John to write a gospel, God using Matthew, God using Luke, God using Samuel, God using David, and so God worked yeah, organically in their living human mind, body, soul, and inspired them to write what he wanted them to write so that we have the authoritative word of God before us. It's not magical. It's not, it's not mystical. They, they knew what they were doing. They, they were inspired by God to write and to express the truth of God. And that continues to be the center of our understanding. In 2 Peter 1, verse uh, 16 to 20, it says, uh, we are not following cleverly invented stories, but this is the word of God. No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation uh, for prophecy which had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verse 21. So that's, that's where the Bible came from, and we receive it as such. God's word to us. We did confess uh, stanza 32, which speaks about the Bible as revealing God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ. And that is the fully reliable expression of God's saving heart. 
And that's, that's the unifying feature. We looked last time at the long road of redemption. And so that's how the Bible unfolds. That's God's loving work of redemption to a world fallen in sin. And that's here again in Genesis uh, 6, 7, and 8, the story of Noah, where, where sin is, is overwhelming. It says in, in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And, and this is, this is and the way it's stated here is, is remarkable. It says, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 6, verse 5. So that's what God is looking at. Great wickedness of the human race on the earth and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And if that's the situation, then, then maybe the flood is justified because that's what was going on, right? The reality of sin in a fallen world. And so that's the, the initial reality that the Bible uh, expresses the truth of sin in this world, and yet, by God's grace, he saves Noah and his family. God's work is a saving work. And so that continues to be the testimony of the Bible itself and our testimony to the truth of the Bible declaring that saving work. So that's what we confess in this world. And we would testify to the world, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is, is useful, is directing us in our, in our living, in understanding what God is doing. And then we, we did confess stanza 33, which speaks of our response today how we are called to witness to the truth of the Bible. And the picture there is, as Noah's story is true, so also the story of Jesus is true. Because if Noah's story isn't true, then the story of Jesus isn't true. And so, so how the Bible hangs together in the truth, the full truth of all that it declares. And so in the Christian Reformed Church, we have always affirmed the authority of the Bible as God's word. We receive it, we defend it, we seek to live it out. We, we call it normative, that, that God has established uh, norms, guidelines for living, for life for salvation, and that the Bible presents those clearly for us. So we continue to make that our confession as we seek to honor God, we seek to honor his holy word. Now I want to just to touch this evening on one area of attack that is, is most modern. The most modern attack on the Bible at this time is modern scholarship that is studying a wide variety of ancient texts that were not previously available. So there has been a lot of study, a lot of looking into ancient writings, ancient literature, 
And so, for example, uh, recently through Calvin College, they uh, found and, and actually researched and published a, a Greek a document found in about 200 AD, so 200 after Christ, and it's called Solomon and the Magic Ring. It's an actual document, ancient document. It's around the time of the Bible, the New Testament written, yeah, up to 100 AD, uh, different thing. Uh, this is 200 AD, so, and it's a Greek document, 40 pages long, and it contains accounts of Solomon, just some factual material that the Bible would agree with, and then it adds all kinds of fictional stuff, mythical stuff. And then you wonder, the Bible, also an ancient document, some factual stuff, but a lot of mythical stuff. Like, is it really true? So the challenge comes back. Well, this document is, is like that, the Solomon one. What about these Bible documents? Can we trust them? Then there are the Gospels. You've probably heard of the other Gospels. The Gospel of Thomas. Have you heard the Gospel of Thomas? That's, that's a Gospel that's been around. So we have four Gospels. There's the Gospel of Thomas, right? The Gospel of Thomas, should we reflect on it? It begins with this line, the first line of the Gospel of Thomas. These are the secret sayings of the living Lord Jesus that Thomas recorded. Well, Thomas was a disciple, right? And Matthew and, 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 and Luke and John and, and Mark, they were disciples, uh, followers of Jesus. And so Thomas, and so that Thomas wrote some things down. And, and so what do we do with that? Now, scholars have reflected on the Gospel of Thomas and it has all kinds of indications in terms of its date, uh, later date, and, and there's all kinds of weaknesses in its, in its actual, yeah, where did it come from? Or was it really from Thomas? And all of that is very questionable. So we, we can set it aside. But, but others still take hold of it and say, well, what about the Gospels that you have here? Then there's also the Gospel of Philip mentioned in Acts 8, who was caught up in the spirit and ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip, here's an excerpt from his gospel. This is what the kind of writing, his writing is. A Gentile does not die, for he has never lived, in order that he may die. He who believes in the truth has found life, and this one is in danger of dying, for he is alive. So it's, it's back and forth there. And then, since Christ came, the world has been created, the cities adorned, and the dead carried out. When we were Hebrews, we were orphans and had only our mother. But when we became Christian, we had both father and mother. You say... 
Interesting. What, what is that, right? But, but the thing that happens is, is people who don't know the Bible who, who then hear about these things, and then this is, this is off base, and then the, the thought is, well, is the whole Bible like this? Just some of these things were gathered together and some weren't, and, and it starts to undermine these different Gospels. There's also a Gospel of Mary, in 1892, a German scholar, he traveled to Egypt and he bought it from a, a merchant there. And it's dated around uh, the 5th century after Christ. It's uh, written on papyrus, so it's old. It's called the Gospel because it focuses on the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, not, not the mother of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene. Mary was with the disciples so she would know Jesus' ministry. And she was also at the tomb, at the resurrection. And she was uh, known to be a, a presence in the early church. And so there's a gospel of Mary, and her gospel account begins in response to a question from Peter. Uh, Peter begins by asking her, Sister Mary, we know that the Savior loved you more than the rest of women. Tell us the words of the Savior that you remember, that you know, but we do not, nor have we heard them. And then Mary goes into all kinds of different things that are not in the Bible. But then you say, it's, it, it undermines, it undercuts. It continues to, to eat away at the authority of Scripture. And it's very much out there now more and more. What do we do with these things? We do work with them responding with careful scholarship to point out the many problems in these writings. There are all kinds of things that, that, that are signs are, are visible to us that yeah this was written not by who it said and it's it's put together in different ways by people much later and all kinds of ways where it can be argued against and it's done quite convincingly but there's still always the threat the other thing what we do have you ever heard of the apocryphal books the apocryphal books in the catholic bible and the, they have the apocryphal books right and books like a tobit and esdras and the maccabees and the shepherd of hermes and there are these books that are, are old written back in the time of of, uh, of bible times but the belgic confession in article six lists them all and says that they are you're allowed to read them don't be afraid of them. And I know reading through them too, it, it, it's interesting. It's, it's a little off. It's, it's a little different, but it's interesting. But the Belgic Confession states we can certainly read them and we can even learn things from them as far as they agree with the Bible. So they're grouped separately. They're not the inspired word of God. They are ancient writings, and we don't have to be scared of them. And so we could put 
these others in that category. Uh, one of the things, for example, in the Gospel of Philip, Gospel of Philip states Jesus was not born of a virgin. The Gospel of Philip says Joseph was his natural father. So we would say, well, interesting, Gospel of Philip has interesting stuff in it, but it's not the Bible. It's not the truth we believe. It's not inspired by God. So those kind of things are how we handle, too, the apocryphal books, the other things that come out. The, the, the threat is still there in more and more ancient writings coming out. If you have an NIV study Bible, and if you look in, in the beginning of that Bible, it has, it has uh, the abbreviations, it has all the normal stuff, as you have the introduction to the Bible, and it has all kinds of nice things. After a couple of pages, you have to go in a little ways, but, but before it starts, Genesis, it has two pages of ancient documents. It, it includes two full pages, and it's under the heading, Ancient Texts That Relate to the Bible. And it lists the different things like this. The Amarna letters, which are from the 14th century before Christ. Very, very old letters. Hundreds of letters written by the Canaanites. And they found and they have looked at these. And they have to do with economic things and, and some historical things. But yeah, they are there. So then they're not Bible, but they are accounts. There is the wisdom of Amenopes from 1000 B.C. 30 chapters of wisdom sayings that are similar to Proverbs. So they're not the Proverbs of the Bible, but they're ancient Proverbs. And then you have the uh, Gilgamesh epic. Maybe you've heard of it. They made a movie about it. 1200 BC, a tale of a hero that also includes a flood. So here we have a flood story. There you have a flood story. And so the questions continue. Forty ancient writings are mentioned there. There are some who suggest the Bible is just a reworked collection of ancient myths. That's, that's what the, the movement against the Bible using this is, is doing. We continue to confess the truth of the whole Bible. In relation to Genesis 7, first of all, we hold to the truth of the Bible that includes the miracle of God's grace in the days of Noah, the reality of his judgment against sin, and the miracle of his grace. And that's the true account of what occurs. And we do that because we are convinced of an even greater miracle. The flood is something remarkable, but we would add more remarkable 
is the truth that God himself came down in Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And that truth is the hope that we bring. And we can see the effect of that saving work of God in Jesus Christ by the reality of faith that has spread over a sinful world through the church even to today. And that Jesus continues to work out his will through his word, through the church, even in our lives. And so the centrality of the Bible, the authenticity of the Bible, its, its power and authority continues to be central to our faith at its very heart. And we continue to lift it up and to confess its truth. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for expressing to us through your sacred word the truth of your creating all things, of your redeeming a fallen world in sin, of your continued reaching out to us through your word in grace and mercy. Lord, we continue to declare with confidence, with assurance, your presence, your power through your word in our lives and in this world. We pray that we may be faithful witnesses to the truth of the, of the Bible in this world. It's our prayer, dear God, that you would give people eyes to see the wonder of your presence and power in your word. We continue to live in the confidence of your continued work in this world and that we are those whom you love and care for. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond in singing some songs of praise. And the harbor's going to lead us.